Thank you for joining us on Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of AYCCE Apologetics Ministries. AYCCE is an acronym for Answering Your Christian Concerns Effectively. And it's our prayer that this program educates, trains, and empowers you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. Enjoy this equipping time so that you may answer questions effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. And on this episode, we wanted to continue our discussion on the gospel differences. Our guest is Associate Professor of Theology at Houston Baptist University, uh, Brother Mike Licona, as well as he's the author of several books, including The Case for the Real Jesus. Brother Licona, welcome again to Sound Reasoning. Thanks, Perseus. Glad to be on. The last time, um, uh, in terms of our discussion, we were talking about the differences uh, between the Gospel of Mark and Matthew as it relates to the topic of divorce, and you was just uh, clarifying what the differences are and and why those differences exist. So please continue on that topic, please. Yeah, well, um, you know, so what I'm saying is uh, Jesus, even though he he didn't give the caveat that allowed divorce on the basis of of marital uh, infidelity, it doesn't exclude it from Mark. Right. Um, We have... Matthew, who clarifies it, and Matthew isn't even exhaustive on it, because when you come to uh, Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, hey, if you're married to a non-believer, and the non-believer wants to have a divorce, um, go for it. Right. You can you can have a divorce, not a problem. So, And that even goes beyond the marital infidelity that Matthew has Jesus say. So if we were there at, let's say, the Sermon on the Mount, or when Jesus is teaching, and um, Jesus is speaking on divorce, what might we have heard him say? Well, he might have said different things on different occasions, of course, but on this particular occasion, he probably said, hey, if you divorce your wife and marry another, you commit adultery. Um, But he's doing this, this hyperbolic language to make a point. Right. God hates divorce. Do not take divorce lightly. Right. Right. And so one of the issues we face as Christians is oftentimes skeptics uh, who attacked the Bible would, would often look at these passages and they'll make the statement that if it's not consistent in, in, in terms of the style of writing, if it's not the same, then uh, they equate it to contradictions. But can you please elaborate on why that's a fallacy? Well, you have to. Just like if, um, I, the way I like to, to talk about it in my lectures is to say that virtually every married person will understand that there's a difference between the guy version of the story and the girl <laughs> version of the story. <laughs> you know, the guy version, the girl version of the story, uh, women like details, lots of details. Right. Um, so they want to know what happened when it happened, why it happened, how it happened, who was there, um, what they were wearing, what they said, right. what they thought, what they felt, and all of that. <clears throat> and they want to, they want precise details. Give me the girl version. Right. Um, a guy, <clears throat> and I'm, of course, I'm just stereotyping. There are sure. many exceptions to this, but um, a guy version, he just wants 
the bottom line. Give me bullet points. Right. Hurry up. Um, I don't want all these details that might be insignificant. Right. Uh, compress the story if you want and all that. And we, we do this all the time. How many times have I been on the phone? I couldn't count. Um, telling the story about what happened to someone, uh, something that happened to me and my wife's in the background saying, you know, it didn't happen that way. <laughs> um, and what I have done in the story is I've maybe adapted it, uh, changed some details, uh, so that, uh, because if I wanted to give the precise details, the exact details, I might have to add five minutes to give background knowledge so that my listener would really even understand what's, what it's all about. Correct. So I might adapt some details um, so that I don't have to go through that for purposes of economy. And so I don't consider that a contradiction. If you would take the guy version, match it against the girl version, um, that, in my mind, is not a contradiction. Right. Because I am not trying to deceive a person or mislead a person. Uh, did it happen in precisely the manner in which I'm relaying it at that point? No. Um, but the person gets a very accurate gist of what occurred uh, according to the information that, of which they're interested. And that's what's important. So going back to the connection with the Greco-Roman style writing, uh, in terms of addition to the text or subtraction from the text, we're saying that the m- principal message was n- uh, was n- not uh, harmed or um, was not obscured. So uh, whether you add, they added to it or subtracted for, uh, to, uh, to, from it, the objective was to enhance the uh, principal message. Is that correct? The purpose was to either make your story clear, to make the point clear, mm-hmm. um, or you could do some alterations to um, just make it better literature, to make the story better. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I could give examples of that, where let's say um, um, Sallust, who was a contemporary to Julius Caesar, and who is regarded as one of the greatest of the Roman historians, one of the finest, he took um, a speech that uh, Sergius Catiline, a Roman senator, had given, um, and displaced it and transplanted it about, uh, um, uh, I'm thinking here, I think uh, several months later, four months later, um, because within that setting, four months later, it was a little more dramatic, it was more colorful, it, it still gets the point across. Right. He actually said that statement, um, but Salas just puts it in another context. Got it. Uh, in order to make the narrative better, uh, to increase the drama, he is not deceiving, he's just writing a good story, a good history, but all the, all the points are true, and it, the things that were said were said. Um, it's just he's doing this to make it a better story. Got it. Um, you touched on the divorce message that Jesus gave. Now, can you elaborate on the narrative dealing with the uh, temptation of Jesus uh, as found in Matthew uh, and Luke and Mark? Yeah, well... Um, there's a couple things that happen there. Um, in the first temptation, um, in one of the accounts, I forgot which one, uh, and it, again, this appears just in Matthew and in Luke, 
The temptation is mentioned by Mark, but no details are provided. But in one of the accounts, uh, Satan says to Jesus, hey, you're, you know, you're hungry, why don't you turn this stone into bread, a loaf of bread? Um, but in the other account, he says, why don't you turn these stones into bread? But it's, the bread is there in the plural. So in one account, you've got plural, in the other, you've got singular. So all he did was something that uh, is taught in the compositional textbooks called, uh, the term that they use is inflection, mm-hmm. where you change a singular to a plural or a plural to a singular. So we find that happening. Um, just a means of paraphrasing. It doesn't change the meaning, uh, the essential meaning. You still get the point, um, but it's just a way of paraphrasing. Uh, a larger difference would be the order in which the temptations occurred. So on one of the accounts, uh, you have to forgive me, I, I don't recall which, but in one you've got turned bread or uh, stones to bread. In the second, you have Jesus being taken to the, the highest point of the Jerusalem temple and Satan saying, hey, just cast yourself off of here and angels will come and rescue you, not allow you to hurt yourself. And then the third temptation is he shows them all the uh, kingdoms of the world and says, I'll give all this to you if you'll but worship me. Um, but when you read it in the other gospel, the second and third temptations are inverted, so that you actually have uh, Satan offer Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, second, and then tempt him to throw himself off the highest point in the temple as the third one. So he inverts the order. And this happens on a couple occasions. Luke is usually the one that appears to be doing the inversion. Um, but that's some differences within the um, uh, the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. Now, if, um, not if, but, well, I guess it would be, if, if Luke did um, uh, use the reverse order, as you said, then is he... Do we know if he's doing it because of the audience, or uh, do we not know his his uh, reason for for the switch? We we don't know. Okay. Uh, I mean, one could guess. He's just inverting the order for paraphrase, so it's not a a direct thing. He Luke seems to change things and reword things more than the others, and that would be <laughs> on the assumption that Mark is our earliest gospel, and as most scholars believe, Matthew and Luke used Mark as one of their sources. So in that case, what we do is we look at how Matthew and how Luke, on certain cases, use Mark as their source, and usually we see this by looking at the order in which the events are presented. If they're presented in the same event, uh, like, you know, ten events in a row that appear in exactly the same order, um you know, there's a good chance that they're using Mark as the source. So um, in that kind of case, we do see uh, Luke paraphrasing, changing things, altering, without really changing meaning, but changing things more than Matthew does. Matthew sticks closer to Mark than does Luke on most occasions. Got it. And what about the transfiguration? You also uh, talked about the differences in in those um, in that narrative as it relates to Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke. Yeah, well, a couple things going on there. You've got Matthew and Mark saying that um, after Jesus had spoken to some folks, he says about um, about or, or they say six days later, 
Jesus took to, uh, Peter, James, and John up on the mountain with him, and Luke says about eight days later, so it's a little bit different. I'm not sure exactly what's going on there, whether Luke just decided to um, uh, paraphrase in that way or, or what's happening. Um, what's interesting, what I think is the interesting difference here, though, is what the voice out of the cloud, what God's voice says at the transfiguration. So um, in uh, Matthew, he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's Matthew. If you look at Mark, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Mm -hmm. And you wonder if Matthew's getting the with whom I am well pleased as he getting that because it's so similar to what Jesus said or what God said to Jesus at his baptism. Mm. Um, but then you look at Luke, it's not, this is my beloved son, it's just, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. So it's not with whom I'm well pleased, it's this is my son, my chosen one. That's a different word, and it, it, uh, it's the same word that we would use for elect, my elect one. Mm -hmm. So is he beloved or is he elect? Well, I, I don't know what would have actually been said, but Luke is changing this a little bit, and he's communicating a, a nuanced meaning out of this. So, um, yes, God loves the Son, but this is also the one that he has chosen right. for the particular task of, uh, of ushering in his kingdom. We find something similar, too, in the baptism of Jesus, where um, you have... Uh, Mark and Luke, the, uh, God's voice, comes out of the sky and says, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Whereas Matthew changes that and says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So, you are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased, or this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Is God's voice addressing Jesus or the spectators? <laughs> Um, so in Mark and Luke, he's addressing Jesus. Matthew redacts it, he alters it to make a point, because he wants the readers to know that God is affirming and testifying that Jesus is his Son. Right. Um, so Matthew alters the meaning, or alters the words here, changes who is being addressed, um, same, the same message but he changes it to make a point to say he wants to underscore, underline, highlight the point. They didn't use bold letters, you know what I mean? Right. They didn't have a footnote in these ancient biographies. So in order to make his point, to emphasize that, he, he changes uh, the people, the, the, the addressee, um, to make the point that Jesus is God's Son. The next uh, narrative deals with the parable of the uh, sower. Yeah. Can you touch on that for us? Yeah, that's a pretty interesting one. Um, lots of differences there. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that, that goes on in the parable of the sower um, that you, you see, you, um, now they're, okay, the parable of the sower, I'm sorry, I was thinking of a, a different one, but with the parable of the sower, you've got inversion there. So in one of the accounts, um, I forgot which one, but I think Mark has... Uh, 20, 30, 60. Hmm? Did Mark uh, uh, 
talked about the uh, 30 and the 60. In 30, terms, 60, uh-huh. 100 fold. So right. the good seed bears fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Mm-hmm. You got Matthew, he just inverts that. Right. And says the good seed bears fruit, some 100, some 60, some 30 fold. And then Luke subtracts and he just says, uh, you know, 100 fold. So he subtracts just for purposes of economy, brevity's sake. Right, right. And so you've got Matthew inverting, and you've got Luke subtracting. Three good examples right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And then the parable of the vineyard, which I thought was fascinating in terms of the story itself. But uh, please uh, talk to us about this passage dealing with the wealthy tenant and the differences in in that story. Yeah, so in the parable of the vineyard and the wicked tenants, you have the vineyard owner who prepares it, uh, puts together and prepares this vineyard, and then he leases it out to some farmers, some tenants. And in antiquity, the way it would work is the, the farmers would go ahead, they'd till the land, they'd uh, you know come up with the crops, and then they would be responsible for paying the owner um, a percentage of those crops. And that would be their payment to the owner. Well, uh, when it come, came time to do this, the owner sent a servant um, to to get what was due the owner. And, you know, they killed the servant. And he sent another set. And then, you know, they killed and, and mistreated them. And so he says, finally, let me send my son. They're not listening to my servants. I'm going to send my son. They'll, surely they're listening to him. they'll listen to him. And the wicked farmers, they said, hey, if this is the... Uh, heir of the vineyard, let's kill the heir, and then the vineyard will become ours. And so they cast him out of the vineyard, the son, and they killed him. So um, this is the the, the parable, and it's really interesting to see what happens. Jesus says, hey, what's the owner of the vineyard going to do? Well, he's going to come and he's going to kill those wicked farmers, and he's going to give the vineyard to another. And what Jesus is saying in this, this parable is, um, Israel, the, the vineyard is Israel. All the servants that came were the prophets that God had sent, and they had killed, and mis- the, the, the Jews had killed and mistreated the prophets. Um, and finally, God sends his son, who is Jesus, of course, and they say, hey, you know, we're going to, let's kill the son, and it will become ours. And what he's saying is the Jewish leaders they really didn't care about serving God. They just wanted Israel for themselves. Mm. They wanted to lead Israel. They wanted all the respect. They wanted to be the, the top people in Israel. So let's do it. We can own this. It can be ours. And so they killed the son. And so God is going to take Israel away from the, the, the Jews, and he's going to give it to others, mm. and meaning the Gentiles in this case. And they got very angry at that. All right, so that's the parable. Now let's see how uh, things change. So here's what's interesting. You have, after they killed the son, Jesus says this in Mark. He says, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. But when we read the same story in Matthew, Jesus says, so what will the owner, he, he takes this and he turns it into a dialogue. Jesus says, so when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? 
they, meaning the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and so forth, said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give them the fruits in their seasons. So again, what Mark presents as a teaching of Jesus, mm-hmm. where Jesus asks and answers his own questions, Matthew takes it and creates a dialogue. So Jesus asks the question, and the Pharisees answer the question. And it's also interesting, if you look at what the question is and you look at the answer, you see Matthew paraphrasing there as well. Matthew even adds, to make it a little more dramatic. Um, So that's something. Um, Another thing that's interesting here, you have Mark and Luke say that uh, the vineyard owner sends one servant, and they beat him and send him away. Then he sends another servant. And Mark says they struck his head, treated him shamefully. Luke says they beat him, they treated him shamefully, and sent him away. Then he sends a third one. Mark says they killed him. Luke says they wounded him and casted him out of the vineyard. Um, And then Mark says then he sent many others, and they beat some and they killed others. Mm -hmm. And then um, Mark and Luke says finally he sent the son... Mark says they killed him and cast him out of the vineyard, whereas Luke says they cast him out of the vineyard first, and then they killed him. Now, when you look at Matthew, instead of sending one servant, and then sending another servant, and then sending a third servant, according to Matthew, he sends all three servants at the same time. And they beat one, they kill another, and they stone another. And then Matthew says, then he sent more than he did the first time. So now he sends more than three servants, and they beat some, they kill the others, and they stone others. And finally he sends a son who he kills. So what's going on here? What did Jesus actually say? I, I, I don't know what he actually said, but we really get the point that's going on here. He sends a servant, they treat him bad. Right. He sends another, they reject him and mistreat him too. They send another, and reject and mistreat him. And then finally he sends a son. You know, that's the point. We can quibble over the details. They did not have video recorders, <laughs> audio recorders, um, and but all, it's on this particular occasion. If you look at it in all three of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three synoptics, it's in the same context. So, whereas Jesus almost certainly gave this parable on various occasions, this is the same occasion that they're talking about in this go- in the Gospels, and they they talk about it with different kinds of uh, details. So I think it's just too much for us to look at every detail that's right. there. We're not supposed to. Brother, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are relaying to us the gist of the story, the parable. Brother Lacona, thank you so much. We've run out of time, but I truly appreciate this information, and I encourage those uh, who want further uh, study on this to do so and also to listen to the podcast on our website. Thanks again, and thank you all for joining us on Sound Reasoning, and please consider becoming a monthly sponsor of the show.
Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from AYCCE Apologetics Ministries. It is our prayer that this lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. AYCCE offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. You can also join us for discussions on Facebook at AYCCE Apologetics. For more information, visit our website at AYCCE.org. You can also send an email there to ask questions or to support our apologetics ministry. That's AYCCE.org. Join us next week at this time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says to hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. AYCCE, answering your Christian concerns effectively. AYCCE.org. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help guide and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.